Coming up, the NBA play-in tournament kicks off starting tonight. We take a look around the Eastern and Western conferences at who could emerge in the 7th and 8th seeds. And most importantly, as the Brooklyn Nets prepare for the Philadelphia 76ers next weekend, what are a couple of the first high-level key matchups that we need to see Brooklyn succeed at if they want to give Philly a fight? You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I'm Adam Arbett covering the New York Football Giants on the One Giant Podcast and also your New Jersey Devils heading for their own playoff run on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. If Doug Norrie was here, you'd be hearing that he is the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings. From DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And tell you that today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code, all caps, locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. And friends, as we come in on a Tuesday morning, a little bit of a different setup here, also running it live. No Doug Nori taking care of business, as we like to say, uh, TCB. Yeah, that's the one. So just me flying solo here on this episode, and we're going to start to look at the Philadelphia 76ers matchup a little bit. This week, we're also going to talk about, as we mentioned on our last episode, just looking back at the season for the Brooklyn Nets, giving out some internal awards for the players across this roster, but we'll save that for when Doug is here to be a part of it. And when we look at this matchup coming up, it'll be about high level and then also I think some deeper matchups here where if you're the Brooklyn Nets, if you're Jacques Vaughn and you want to find a way to make this series as long as possible to make Philadelphia really have to sweat, you're going to need to not only win or have success at least at the high level with a Joel Embiid, with a James Harden, with a Tyrese Maxey, but then even getting down to a guy like P.J. Tucker and what that can mean in certain matchups throughout this roster. But we'll get to that in a second. First things first, the NBA play-in tournament, as we know, is going to kick off starting today. You've got the Atlanta Hawks going to Miami. You've got Minnesota going to the Lakers. And then tomorrow night, we'll get Chicago at Toronto and OKC at New Orleans. Um, You know, this is interesting to me because we talked about the other day, are the Nets a true sixth seed? And you look at them relative in the Eastern Conference to those four play-in teams. And if you told me I had to go, and I think Doug said it, you know, if you play these teams a hundred times, play the series a hundred times, how often would the Nets come out on top over any number of these teams? Now, if you keep it specific to this season, I think the Nets would come out on top more often than not because you have this these weird iterations of these teams. Atlanta never figured it out, fired their coach. Who knows what's going to happen to them in this offseason? Are players like Trey Young going to stick around? DeJounte Murray, right? There's going to be something new is going to happen there with Quinn Snyder at the helm now. So you expect changes there. So they've been an underachieving team based on what the talent is. John Collins, I'm sure somebody hot on the minds of Nets fans, or maybe he's not. Interesting to see 
how Nets fans feel about Collins now when it's not about adding him to the superstar roster, but the potential of adding him into the mix with the players you now have. Uh, Miami, again, same thing. Veteran, you know, veteran heavy team. Eric Spolstra, obviously a phenomenal head coach, but Jimmy Butler, the, the ghost of Kyle Lowry, right? Bam Adebayo. Is there enough juice there that this team could be a real threat? And out of that group in the Eastern Conference, I think you would look at Miami because of their pedigree, because of their track record and say, nobody in the Eastern Conference would check off the box of wanting to see them come out of this play-in tournament as opposed to any of the other number of teams. Even a team like Toronto, which has young talent, but again, didn't seemingly find a way to put it all together this season. So they're going to be fun matchup. If I had to pick it, I'd say Miami gets it done at home. Um, the Chicago-Toronto one is a little bit trickier for me. I, I mean, some people labeled it with uh, DeMar DeRozan as a bit of a revenge game. We're pretty removed from that, I, I, th- I think, at this point. But it is interesting just because that's a veteran team. Toronto is certainly younger, but they have playoff experience you know, across their roster. Fred Van Fleet, Siakam, even Yudanta OG, right? You have these guys that are capable of certainly having a high impact. Um, but I, yeah, that one's a tricky one for me. And Chicago to Toronto is not a big trip. So you don't have to worry about it too much if you are uh, one of these teams going on the road for these games. That being the case, if you told me right now, I would take Miami. I would take, oh, it's rough. I think I'm going to take Chicago. Oh, it's probably a bad move, but that might be the way that I would go. And then if you're the losing team, here's the biggest thing to me is that if you're the losing team, so in, in this iteration, Atlanta's going to fall. I think that if Atlanta loses to Miami, they're going to lose to whoever the other team is, whether it's Toronto or whether it's Chicago. I just think that Atlanta is on its way out. I think that they are the team out of these three, uh, four, even though Chicago is probably going to be changed and things up as well. They just seem the team that is most ripe to have a really big overhaul for themselves. In the Western Conference, just briefly here. So, uh, yeah, so let's just... Let's set the table. I'm talking about Miami getting that seventh seed officially and squaring up against Boston. And then the eighth seed, I'm going to give in this moment. Oh, give it to the plucky. Give it to the plucky Chicago Bulls. That's probably a mistake, but that's who I'll go with. All right, Western Conference-wise, you obviously have L.A., Minnesota, Pelicans, Oklahoma City. Listen, um, Minnesota is an absolute mess right now. That's not any. There wouldn't be any one reason to say, well, they had some infighting, and then that's the reason why they're going to lose. You also lost McDaniel's there with the hand, so you're you're actually hurting your team right now in terms of your depth. L.A. has been such a better team since the trade. You've had injuries, obviously, with LeBron, but back healthy. I'm going to take L.A. to come out of that one. And then, see, I'm going to do the same thing again here. I think, I think, I think, I think that no matter who wins Pelicans or OKC, that I'm going to take that team to knock off the Minnesota Timberwolves because everything about what they have had happen to them suggests that it's just a team going in the wrong direction. Narrowly over 500, traded away a lot of key pieces, ironically, to the LA Lakers, right? So you're you're going to get all of the guys that could have been on your roster for Minnesota are now going to be a part of the team that knocks you out of the playoffs. Um, give me the Pelicans to get OKC uh, there in that matchup. And then I'll even take the Pelicans to get that eighth seed and knock the Timberwolves officially out of the playoffs. How about that for a little 
play-in tournament roundup, if you're interested. I'm, I'm very curious to see. I'll stick around for an extra couple of minutes since we're doing a uh, Tuesday morning live just to get a sense of where everybody is on the playoff picture. The one thing that I really do enjoy and that I'm excited about for this uh, playoff run here for Brooklyn and for the NBA overall is last year, you remember, the Nets had to play in the play-in tournament to secure their spot in the playoffs, whereas this week, we get to not only talk about the matchup with the Philadelphia 76ers coming up, excuse me, but we also get to just watch the leading up playoff basketball, the play-in tournament, which is a lot of fun. And obviously, it has implications around the draft, lottery picks, how high, how low some teams end up, and what uh, what type of uh, moves are going to get made when it comes to the NBA draft. So there's a lot of fun things that come along here. So I figured we do that brief little roundup there, and we'll see when Doug gets back in with us if he has that same kind of energy around some of these matchups, I doubt that he's going to call for both A seeds to end up clean out of the playoffs. But we'll see how it goes. Before we dive in on the upcoming matchup with the Philadelphia 76ers and two key stats and two key matchups that we want to watch for, perimeter shooting being one of them, rebounding being another, and then the role of Nicholas Claxton. And I mentioned at the top, we're going to flip over to the other side and talk about one P.J. Tucker here and why he could actually be an important battle for the Nets to win if they want to make this series interesting beyond those superstar battles that they're going to have. Before we do that, though, my friends, going to tell you about our other friends over at Game Time. Mentioned it at the top. This is actually a good one to have if you're if you're thinking about going to a Nets game, you want to get into this playoff matchup that they're going to have starting next weekend. You can buy tickets for your favorite team and it shouldn't be stressful. That's the nice thing about game time. It's fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. We're focusing on the Brooklyn Nets right now and basketball, but you can obviously go to a great concert. You can also catch some great, maybe a Broadway show. Maybe you do a matinee in the city and then go to a Nets game at night when they get back to Brooklyn in the mid portion of that series. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. Flash deals and last minute tickets. I did this the other day, turned on the flash deals, ended up being 10 or $15 cheaper on a uh, New Jersey Devils game that I was thinking about going to catch. So you can turn those on every single day across different sports and different categories, which is really cool. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. Area, excuse me, And just like a lot of these apps, but these do a really great job uh, on here. You can go ahead and get an image from your seat so you know exactly what the view is going to be like. It's not, hey, here's sort of this section. It's views from your seat so you know exactly the tickets that you're going to be purchasing. And you have that lowest price guarantee. Oh, you're going to want to get over there, my friend. So you download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code all caps locked on NBA, and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Little nod to Charles Barkley there. Why not? He'll be doing his thing in the playoffs. Uh, guarantee that I will not be making a guarantee about the Brooklyn Nets playoff series, although I am excited to have it get underway. One of the things when we're talking about uh, this matchup coming up is the, the, the key areas, right? We all know what Joel Embiid is and why he can be a real problem. Now we can think back to our minds in different matchups where Nicholas Claxton, over the evolution of his game, has shown himself capable of being able to take on that challenge and really in the most important way from a Brooklyn Nets standpoint, take on the challenge without 
putting yourself in a position to have two, three, four fouls in the first one or two quarters to find yourself having to prematurely go to the bench and not be available for your team. We can dream about how Dayron Sharp has been everything that he kind of has been since coming into the league, but has certainly refined himself a little bit, can stay on the court more. He's able to be a rebounder. He's able to be disruptive on both ends of the court around the glass. And in those very limited opportunities, he's been a guy that's been able to stretch the floor with that perimeter shot. That's something we dream on for later. But for Nicholas Claxton, you know, I went back and looked, and this is unfortunately or fortunately, the last big performance that we, he had against the 76ers came back on January 25th, where he went for those 25 points across 38 minutes. He gave you the 11 rebounds. He gave you the 11 of 12 performance from the field slash all in and around the basket. Also had a couple of blocks in this game as well and went to the line and knocked down three out of six. Now, he didn't play in the season finale, obviously, and the last matchup on 2-11 was a quiet one for him, 29 minutes and six points. The so this is the interesting thing for me, and we saw Nicholas Claxton say it's time. Like he's he, he's ready to go. He wants to get into this playoff matchup. If we are talking about the if we're talking about this series and saying how can right out of the gate from tip off we get a sense that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be capable of being in games, win or lose, being in games, staying competitive, and finding battles that they can win. Nicholas Claxton is going to have to do it and do it at both ends of the floor. Defensively, Joel Embiid, yes, he's going to get his. And I'll be fascinated to see how the Brooklyn Nets approach the defensive assignment against Joel Embiid because they like to switch everything. You like to use Nick Claxton out there on the perimeter. His versatility defensively is something that gets you excited because you know you can switch off all the way down to a Tyrese Maxey if you had to and still be able to hold your ground. The problem is you don't have another body that you can put out there against a Joel Embiid. So when he's out there on the perimeter on those switches and doing an excellent job on those assignments, you know you're giving something up on the interior. So how often will they have him stay at home? How often will they try to potentially, what I think could be a productive method here and as an option, is try to find a way to work a little bit of those zones in at times knowing that what you want to maybe try to do is sag a little bit back towards the paint, provide a congestion around the lane that suggests for Joel Embiid, a player that is capable of having the ball on the perimeter, taking his man off the dribble and going down the rack through the paint in two steps. Maybe you convince him to live on the perimeter for a handful of possessions. And in doing so, you push it further into one of Nicholas Claxton's strengths, being able to be out there, move his feet, get up in the face of Joel Embiid on shots and maybe impact and affect how his game looks away from the basket. When it comes to the interior, all I want to see from Nicholas Claxton is be a presence, try to be disruptive, do what you do against almost every single matchup, avoid the fouls, wait for them to make their commitment to going up for their shot. And in doing so, find a way to have a well-timed block and opportunity to impact the play, right? None of these things are standing here telling you, and this is why, Nicholas Claxton will shut down Joel Embiid. Of course not. But you do need to find a way on that end of the floor, individually and collectively, to make Joel Embiid attack you in ways for stretches of the game that are not the easiest path of resistance, right? You want to find a way to maybe have him live on the outside a little and then see the distribution. If you sag a little bit into the paint, if you allow some of those perimeter looks to at least exist there, 
you work on the double edge of the sword, which is what? The perimeter shooting for the Philadelphia 76ers, and they have a laundry list of guys that can be effective from there. It's why it's a tough matchup. You talk about one way that you can impact a particular player and matchup in the game, and you realize that you're opening up other issues. More importantly to me than what happens on the defensive end, because in a lot of ways I feel like I can trust and rely on Claxton on that end of the floor to do that, I also can trust them offensively, but the question for me becomes, is Nicholas Claxton's offensive game and some of the things that we've seen in recent weeks and months this season, something that he is going to be able to go to here against a Joel Embiid? And specifically what I mean is it's not about getting out in transition and running the floor and having some of those looks. When those come, he needs to be absolutely elite at that, which he is. But if you get that ball from the foul line, extended and you have an opportunity to turn and face up against anyone let alone Joel Embiid does Nicholas Claxton have the confidence and the skill set to take Joel Embiid on work some of those euro step moves that we've seen him use the off hand at times and get some of these looks in and around the basket and by the way yes he has the confidence to do it he's not going to lack for that we've seen how he's grown in that confidence, especially over the course of this season. And maybe even after the trade, we saw him take a couple of few games really for the Nets collectively to get together here. But as everyone else has had some cohesion, you've seen how Nicholas Claxton has benefited off of that. It's so critical beyond being effective around the basket and playing off of Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been electric with the ball in his hands and facilitating, playing off of spacing from Mikhail Bridges, et cetera. There has to be a way that Nicholas Claxton impacts this game by putting fouls on the opposition because Mikhail Bridges gets to the line with consistency. Spencer Dinwiddie has shown the ability to do so, right? He attacks downhill at the basket. There's not a ton of other players on the Brooklyn Nets roster that are going to be capable of taking the attack at the Philadelphia 76ers defense and getting those fouls and getting to the free throw line. If you lose that disparity there, if you find yourself getting into difficult battles with Joel Embiid and you're draw- and he's drawing fouls and you see that disparity in these games, especially early, going two to one, three to one on free throw attempts, that is a margin and a gap that the Brooklyn Nets are, are going to have a very hard time, I should say. Never going to say never, but they're going to have an incredibly hard time closing that specific gap because the Philadelphia 76ers can always go to that well. So Claxton finding a way, I mean, he has to have an, the all-around game, and he's going to have to do it for every single game of this series if the Brooklyn Nets are going to have a chance to succeed. In the games when you see him going, you know, less than double-digit rebounds will be a shock just because of the personnel the Nets have. But he needs to be a double-digit scorer in this game. in these games. If not, you're going to find this team then leaning more heavily into the perimeter shooting where they can have success, but they're going to become a little bit more one-dimensional. And then if you think about some of the areas where the Nets have had success, where Mikhail Bridges has had success in that mid-range game, remember, you've got Joel Embiid now patrolling that paint. And if Nicholas Claxton isn't going to force him to have an attention and a focus away from some of the other matchups, that's where Joel Embiid's elite-level play, MVP-level play, is going to come into effect. So coming up here in a second, we go high level there with Nicholas Claxton. I'm saving some of the big moves here. The Joel Embiid, we talk about him a little bit and how Claxton can affect him, but how do you, other ways you defend against him? James Harden, what are they going to do with him? Tyrese Maxey, what are you going to do with him? I want to save some of these for when Doug is back with us on the show. So I'll go low level a little bit here 
with P.J. Tucker coming up in a second and why his play and how the Brooklyn Nets matchup against him can have a trickle-up effect in how this team tries to win basketball games. Before we do that, though, I'm going to tell you about, that's right, another friend. Friend of the show. We have a lot of friends of the show over here. And this particular friend is our good friend at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is, of course, daily fantasy made so, so easy. You know that for daily fantasy. You do not want to be gambling against everybody, battling against everybody. And I mean gambling in the sense of the risk reward of who is this guy? Is he a shark? Does he know what he's doing there, right? When it comes to the daily fantasy space, you want to be able to go in confidently that you know what the right pick and projection is. And that's what prize picks is all about. All you have to do is you go ahead and pick two to six players. And if they score more or less than their prize picks projections, you can win up to 25 times of your money on any single entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections in any sport that you want to watch. And yes, it'll include the NBA all throughout the playoffs. Take the over on Nicholas Claxton rebounds. I think it's going to make a lot of sense here. Probably take the over on Mikhail Bridges points. Why? Because he's going to need to score a lot of points and consistently all year, people doubt how much he can impact the game. Uh, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and so, so much more. It's safe and fast withdrawals currently operating in over 30 states and our friends to the North Canada. You download the Prize Pick app or go to the prizepicks.com website to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code all caps locked on. If you deposit $100, they'll give you $100. If you deposit $50, they'll give you $50. You say a number, and that's the number that they're going to deposit with you up to $100. Don't forget, enter promo code locked on to sign up. For your instant deposit match up to $100. All right. So closing out on what I think is a very, could we say minor, insignificant, potentially matchup for the Brooklyn Nets, but a noteworthy one. And it's funny because one of the things that a guy like P.J. Tucker, who when you look back over the last handful of games for him, he's only playing the 20, you know, he's in the 20s for the minutes. Is he still the guy? I bring him up, and it's really the larger, this is a larger statement about the Philadelphia 76ers defense and the players on the Brooklyn Nets that are going to need to step up. Is P.J. Tucker 63 years old? Of course he is. But, He still is out there and has a very specific functioning role. Now, you can go back and look at some of the work that he's done on the perimeter and say it's no more glossy or shiny than anything that a Seth Curry has been able to do with consistency. You can compare him to a Royce O'Neal and say that Royce has been more important and more valuable and played more minutes and been more consistent, which he has across the board. But you got to remember that P.J. Tucker is a 37-year-old, born the same year as me, um, six foot five, you know, power forward that is going to create problems specifically on the defensive end, potentially in those 20 ish minutes that he may play. And what I mean by that is Joe Harris. Is he taking PJ off the dribble when he needs to Royce O'Neal? Is he going to take him off the dribble when he needs to? 
you know, the high-level matchups are always critical in the playoffs. But Doug said it the other day. When these teams step onto the court, the two best players are going to be Joel Embiid and James Harden. Now, I thought about debating the idea that, like, Mikael Bridges should be considered right there. And James Harden hasn't been great in the playoffs over you know, the course of his career. So why not put Mikael Bridges up there? I think it'll be a fun discussion to have. Is Mikael Bridges proving himself to be the second best player on the court in this playoff series? That'll be fun to watch. But the highest level matchups are going to be difficult ones. And we'll talk about Harden and we'll talk about Maxi. But a matchup like this, you know, 20 minutes, Joe Harris is going to play about 20 minutes. Joe Harris is going to have perimeter looks. If P.J. Tucker is is allowed and afforded the ability on either the lesser perimeter guys, on the switches, picking up a Cam Johnson, picking up a Spencer Dinwiddie, whatever the matchup may be, if P.J. Tucker is able to have a plus impact on these games, then you're going to start to see that snowball rolling downhill. Because it means that everything else ahead of it is probably going in a tremendously strong direction for the Philadelphia 76ers. So it becomes interesting to me about, on the offensive end, how are you going to approach those switches? If it's a Mikael Bridges, if it's a Spencer Dinwiddie, listen, you got to beat that matchup. you got to beat that matchup 100 times out of 100. Not because it's any disrespect to P.J. Tucker, but because you need to be better than him in this series to win the game. But what happens with a Joe Harris when you get to that point? What happens to, frankly, I mean, I hate to say it, but like Seth Curry is going to be out there on the court for this, and TJ Maxx is going to pick up that assignment because it's going to be small man against elite defensive small man, and Maxi is going to probably win that nine times out of ten. So you're, you, know, you look across the, this, this matchup slate for the Nets, and you realize you know, it is difficult assignment across the board for the starters, but then even as you move down the board, you're still talk, talking about assignments that are going to create issues potentially, especially on the offensive end for Brooklyn. And if there's one thing at the high level that we can mention here at the close, it's that this team for everything that it's accomplished so far. And I believe that they've accomplished an incredible set of check marks here. Cause I don't want to say accomplishments again, you know, you, you were a 500 team for all intents and purposes after the trades you acclimated and integrated four new starters. You successfully took a starter and moved them to your bench and still had them buy in and stay committed. You found a way to get your sharpshooter in Joe Harris back to some semblance of consistency, right? You haven't alienated Nicholas Claxton in this this process. You've actually still had Nicholas Claxton emerge as exactly what we told you was all year, right? A starting center in the NBA and among the best starting centers in the NBA. All those things matter. And you avoided this idea of we're going to dumpster this thing. We're going to tear it down to the studs. We're going to have to rebuild all this. We're going to pass through Mikhail Bridges. No, none of those things happened. And also, every one of those starters, Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith in this instance, and Nicholas Claxton, they all need to have their best version of their games in this series. You cannot afford to go out against the Philadelphia 76ers and have Mikhail Bridges and Spencer Dinwiddie struggle from the field. If that happens, it's over, right? If Cam Johnson can't find his perimeter shot with consistency, it's going to be a problem. He needs to be attacking at the basket. We'll talk about these higher, these more important critical matchups here. 
but all the supporting role guys, they need to serve their role and serve it to perfection. If Joe Harris gets four three-point attempts in a game, he needs to knock down three of them. If you're going to bring in Seth Curry, we all know how we feel about it, but if he's going to be in the game, he needs to be able to impact the game. I'm just going to say offensively because defensively it's going to be a real struggle for him in, a, in this particular matchup. These guys need to find a way to have success. And that includes Dayron Sharp, by the way. Mentioned at the top a little bit discussing Nicholas Claxton, mentoring him at the close. When he comes in, he needs to be disruptive. He needs to be grabbing those rebounds. And he needs to be playing in control so that he can consistently give Nick Claxton those stretches of rest that he's going to need throughout the first game and throughout this series. It's not going to be easy. But we have... Four more days here. Four more days? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Eh, we'll have three more. Three more episodes where we'll continue to break this down. And yes, we're going to get to the most critical ones. How does Mikhail Bridges succeed here? How does Cam Johnson impact this game? Where can Spencer Dimwitty really start to open things up for, on the Philadelphia's defense and give some of his teammates those opportunities? Find his way to double-digit assists, right? We never thought we'd be seeing Dinwiddie and James Harden go toe-to-toe in facilitator category. Well, that may be what we see a lot of here. And then how do you defend those high-level guys as well? We're going to dive into all of it, but we want to set the table for the play-in tournament. We did that. Told you, eight seeds are going down. They're not going to make it. And then we want to set the table for a couple of these matchups. So all week long, we'll be doing this. We're going to try to cross over with Philadelphia as well. I know sometimes fans say, I don't want to hear anything from them, but it does give you insight when you hear from the opposition. And amongst the Locked On Network, we're all friends. We're all colleagues. It's good to see how they perceive this game and whether or not they look at the Brooklyn Nets and say, yes, there are some areas that we're going to have real concerns when it comes to taking them on. So you go ahead and you get us over on YouTube, as Doug would tell you. You subscribe, you turn on the alerts, so you see us going live. You get us on that podcast feed, as we always do as well. And with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend. And I can't wait until he's back here so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.